mildly entertaining, somewhat obscure guests, relatively interesting topics, semi-professional production quality, reasonably well-informed commentary, a great value for the money, hundreds of fans all around the world. It's the Starting Strength Gyms podcast with your host, Ray Gillenwater. All right. We're here today with Chris Reese. Chris is a doctor of physical therapy. He's a, a clinician. He is an apprentice coach at Starting Strength Cincinnati under Luke Schroeder. Um, I wanted to talk to Chris because he sent me a nice email. The subject of that email was comment from the lovers, which is unusual. We usually get comments <laughs> from the haters, but we like the lover comments too. They're both in Sure. Um, Chris was telling me that uh, the podcast that I did with Ina, which we'll link up here, uh, about postmenopausal women helped get his mom under the bar. Uh, so that was the, the thing that sparked this conversation. And then generally, I'm interested in talking to apprentice coaches and coaches at the gyms, especially talented, educated ones like Chris. I mean, the fact that we have a guy with a PhD as an apprentice at a starting strength gym who's testing out in August to become an SSC, I think speaks volumes about the system that we've built and, um, Chris, I wanted to get your point of view on starting strength. I wanted to get your point of view on physical therapy. And why don't I start by extracting that from you by asking a question to, uh, maybe raise your blood pressure or the blood pressure of other PTs watching this, which is, do you agree with Mark Ripito's assessment that physical therapy may be fraud? And that's a general question. I'm not referring to your specific practice. I, I don't. I assume you're not a fraudster, um, but but do you do you understand his his question when he asks, "Is PT fraud?" I would love to hear your point of view on that. Yes, um, I would say I agree. Um, well, I agree that there are shortcomings within the profession. I think fraud implies intent, mm -hmm. and so I think that's probably the the place maybe where the argument falls apart. I don't know that most of the PTs I've interacted with are intending to mislead or you know, do things they shouldn't do, um, with their patients. Mm. But I think that's exactly what it ends up happening. And I think Mark's assessment of PT is really one of the things that has drawn me to, um, starting strength. And I think I have found such value in what starting strength and what the method provides and, you know, the books, there's such good stuff there. Um, and so I, you know, I certainly listen when he says something like that. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly caused me to take a much more objective look at the profession, what I do, what I see others do. Um, and so I think there are things that need to be improved. Certainly, mm. you know, I think fraud is maybe a bit strong because again, I don't think the intent is there. Yeah. Um, but you know, you could certainly make an argument that there's, you know, therapists are, you know, they're, they're sort of guilty by omission mm. because they're not seeking out this kind of information. And then when they're exposed to it, they're not, you know, trying to learn more and, and realize the, you know, how this is different. So yeah, I, I, I think um, I, it has really struck me how good this information is. And again, that's why I'm sitting here. Mm. Um, that's why I, you know, I wake up early and go to the, the starting strength gym before I come to work. You know, I think there's such good stuff here. And I think it's got such value in helping a very broad range of people. Mm. Um, and I think it brings a lot to what I do as a clinician. So, 
Yeah. Well, then it worked. I think Ripito's tactic there is to, <laughs> is to state something in, a, in an extreme fashion to catch people's attention and get them thinking. So it seems that that worked. Yeah. And um, I have to say, I am disillusioned and frustrated and disappointed by the medical bureaucracy in this country. And I'm especially disappointed with uh, medical providers as individuals. And it's for the reason that you stated. And, and that is... You know, you're, you're a PhD in, uh, in an applied science, right? So applied science. It doesn't mean you just get to listen to other people tell you what the science is and then follow. The onus is on you. The onus is on everybody um, to analyze this information for themselves and make a determination about what's true or what's likely to be true and then to adjust their approach accordingly. And our system has become so rigid that it actually provides a disincentive for practitioners to think for themselves. And that's yeah. frustrating for me. And, and yeah. every time I'm on this podcast, I have another anecdote. So my most recent anecdote, <laughs> which does not apply to PT per se, it applies to my father-in-law. He is here from Vietnam and uh, he has what I believe to be a vaccine injury. Now, I'm not going to contradict myself and um, be a sloppy thinker like the people I'm criticizing here. I don't have evidence of causation, but the correlation and the timing and his health status prior to vaccine makes it certainly questionable that he might be vaccine injured. The, the guy had a, a blood clot and a stroke. Last time he was here, about a year and a half ago, he was perfectly healthy. He's followed the medical advice. Um, he is now a stroke patient. The guy takes about three seconds per step on a walker. Wow. Last year he was wow. on his knees helping me assemble patio furniture. Um, so it's really sad to see. And he's here now and we're, we're trying to put him into an assisted living facility. And this assisted living facility won't allow us to pay them cash to take him as a resident until we have a letter from his GP. So this guy, this guy can hardly go up the stairs and our house has stairs. And so while we wait for this medical bureaucratic nonsense to go through, I've got to have my elderly father-in-law who weighs less than a hundred pounds hobble up the stairs precariously um, instead of putting him in a facility where there are no stairs and there are people that can help him and feed him 24 seven. And all that stress is on us and all that, all that bullshit we have to deal with is on us because of a bureaucratic rule we cannot put him in the facility until a GP has given his blessing that he is allowed to be in a wow. facility. So, wow. man, it seems like every week I'm exposed to some nonsense in the medical profession, and I'm completely disenchanted with it. And um, I, I kind of just want to get your perspective, because the interesting thing about this conversation is I don't, I don't know you. Um, you sent me a very nice email, and Luke speaks highly of you. <laughs> um, so this, will, this is kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't really know where you stand on this stuff. I kind of want to get your point of view. Talk to me broadly about our medical bureaucracy. Um, am I, am I being unfair? Um, have I had a streak of bad luck? Uh, what's your point of view as someone who, who is in this every single day? Well, I think, I think what you guys talk about a lot is just the, the incentives are not there necessarily to help people like they should be. And far too often we see patients, you know, they come in, you know, we might see them 10, 12, 14, 16 visits, whether they've gotten any better or not, we get paid yeah. and off they go. And so just do like I care the government about making people, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So I, I, we talk a lot about some of the large corporations here that run, you know, the physicians and surgeons and they've got PT practices. And so when a patient walks in the door with a problem, 
my impression is that provider looks for as many revenue streams with that patient as they can possibly generate. Mm -hmm. And whether or not that patient actually gets any better and gets help is kind of irrelevant. Um, and that's what's extremely frustrating for me. And, I, and again, I wouldn't be sitting here if I didn't really agree with a lot of what, you know, you have said on this podcast. I just finished up the one with the second one with uh, Will Morris this morning. Isn't that guy um, great? You know, I've obviously, he's fantastic. I, I, I learned a lot day. listening to that podcast. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I, I feel like you guys are spot on with your assessment of the medical profession and far mm -hmm. too often common sense is out the window. I mean, your situation is indicative of exactly that, you know, mm -hmm. common sense would say, yeah, get him in there. He needs this help. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And you got to wait for some guy to sign a letter. I mean, that's crazy, you know? Yeah. So it, I think to your, to your point earlier about, you know, it is supposed to be an applied science. Mm -hmm. So you have this bed of knowledge, use it. And far Fantastic. too often, it, right, exactly. And, and, and change, if yeah. you come across something that you, you know, you, you find something that proves your hypothesis wrong, change it. Yep. And far too often, like you guys have said before, it's just, you know, you follow the protocol, you do what you're supposed to do. And, you know, the patient outcomes are, are you know, they're second, third, fourth, fifth down the list. And that's, that's the piece that I really, that I really don't like. And that's what has, you know, certainly frustrated me with the, the PT profession. Yeah, the medical profession has become religion. Because in recent years, if you dare question the approved narrative, if you dare question the science, you could actually lose your ability to practice medicine, sure, which, is, sure. which is antithetical to what medicine is supposed to be. There are no right. sacred cows, right? It's like, what, <laughs> what do you see in your clinical practice? What do you observe? Based on your observation, what is your hypothesis? Does your hypothesis fly in the face of the currently approved theory? If so, that's valuable information that people should want to hear from you so it can be further studied. Instead, sure. we're in a situation where it's being silenced and people are being threatened. So the, yeah. the, medical, the medical bureaucracy is no longer um, uh, an institution of applied science. The, the medical right. bureaucracy is now an institution of ideology. And it's dangerous because the bureaucracy doesn't give a shit about you as an individual. It can't yep. by default. Yep. Individuals yep. care about you as an individual, but individuals yeah. that are beholden to a, a bureaucratic system that they cannot change and uh, is incentivized to cause them to behave in a way that doesn't benefit you poses a serious risk to your health potentially. So yeah, that's why I keep talking about this stuff. Um, I wanted to ask you about why you work at a starting strength gym and I think you actually just alluded to it. And so let me ask you this instead. Working at a starting strength gym makes you an outcome-oriented um, health professional, let's say, health and fitness professional. We are outcome-oriented to the extent that we don't have a contract because when you come in, we don't want you signing up for a term contract. We want you signing up for a gym because you believe that you will get the right help and you'll get the outcome that you seek. And if you don't get the outcome that you seek, we don't want you to continue to pay us. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's pure. And that, that those incentives were aligned that way intentionally. That's not an accident. Are you aware of any PT clinic or any medical service provider broadly that has an outcome oriented practice? Cause I, I'm, I'm not, it's a, it's a genuine curiosity that I have. I don't think that I am aware of anything that operates in the way that the starting strengths uh, strength gyms do. We were just, I was just having a conversation with Adam. He's the head coach in Cincinnati this morning about, uh, you know, there's a member that we have that has not been showing up. 
And, you know, Luke's calling them and saying, Hey, look, you know, we'd love to have you. We want you to train, but if you can't make it, like, stop giving us your money, like stop paying for it. You know, if you can't be here, we don't want to take your money. And, you know, Adam was just sharing how that is so opposite of every other gym and every other, really every other organization, business, nobody operates that way. Integrity is in short supply. That's exactly right. And I think, uh, you know, the fact that starting strength is, you know, the gyms are set up that way. I love telling people you don't have to sign a contract. If you find value in what you're getting here, we want you to come, we want you to pay and we'll help you. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if this isn't for you, then, you know, you're, you're free to move on. And there's, there's no way I would be involved uh, to the extent that I am. If, if it was, you know, salesy, you know, you're trying to push people and, 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 you know, talk them into something maybe they don't really need. Um, I love that about, I love that about the way the gyms are set up. Um, we'll talk you know, people out of it, right? If, if they have the wrong yeah. motivation or the wrong idea about what this is, we'll be like, well, this, right. let, well, let me actually, uh, let me challenge your assumption and this may not be for you, but let's discuss, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but it's, it's yeah. about, it's about and, the right fit. It's not about us pushing something on someone. Right. And I think, unfortunately, I mean, I think our, the, the, the PT clinic that I work in, in a lot of PT clinics, they are outcome based in that we collect outcome measures nice. and we're trying to track engage progress. And we're trying to track, you know, pain is pain decreasing is strength improving is function improving, you know, so we certainly are tracking that. And we are, you know, I think day to day, very much driven by those outcomes in terms of, like you said, individuals working with individuals, we're, and, you know, the company I work for, uh, you know, uh, that is our focus. We want to have an individualized plan for the patient sitting in front of us. And we want to improve whatever is important to that person, function, strength, pain, you know. Um, but I think you're exactly right on the whole. On average, that is a unique setup. And most of the time, it's not necessarily driven like that in the way that the, you know, that the gyms are. I've never gotten a follow up from my GP about an issue I've come in for to determine if the medication or the protocol provided actually did the thing that it was intended to do. So it's, right. it's wonderful right. to hear that, that your PT clinic cares that you guys actually give yeah. a shit about it. Did you help people or not? Cause ultimately, exactly. I mean, I, I thought that's what we're all here to do. Making money yeah. is, is, uh, is the side effect of producing value, or at least that's, that's kind of my philosophy. Um, so since your clinic is doing things correctly, why don't we plug that? What's what's the name and location of your spot in case someone's listening nearby and needs uh, needs some help? So we're Oxford Physical Therapy. Um, we're in Cincinnati. There are about fourteen locations in Cincinnati, nor a little bit north of the city, and then in just across the river in Kentucky. Um, uh, this year is in fact our thirtieth year, so we're having a picnic on Friday actually to celebrate. Um, 30 years in practice. They started back in 92. They started up in Oxford, Ohio. The name is not terribly creative. Um, but yeah, so I mean, and you know, our, our owners have been very adamant about, you know, kind of defining PT the way that we want to define it and, you know, putting the patient's priorities and their outcomes first has always been their philosophy. And, you know, we got to keep the doors open. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I really believe that their intentions are good in doing what is necessary to help patients. Um, but I mean, again, I think that we're the exception and, and we, we try to highlight that in a lot of our marketing, a lot of our interaction with, you know, other physicians, because, you know, we're private practice, so we're not affiliated or connected to any large group of physicians. We don't get, you know, great referrals from, you know, um, a large group of surgeons. Um, so we have to, you know, we have to provide a little bit better level of care. We function, I think in that regard, more like a retail operation, you know, we provide a service people like it, they, they find value in it and they come back. Um, and that's always been something that I've enjoyed. And, you know, I, I came from a retail background. 
around. And I think you've got to provide that level of service and provide what your patients are looking for. And, you know, if you are connected to a large group of physicians or a large group of surgeons, you've got a stream of patients. It doesn't really matter what you do or if you're good or if you're, you know, compassionate, you provide the right care because you got a stream, you know, if this patient doesn't like you and moves on, you've got another one right behind them. And I worked in some clinics like that coming up through, through school. And it was very obvious the, 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 the PTs did not care in the way that they do um, in this facility and this company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I like that because I think the private practice aspect makes us much more accountable to our patients because mm-hmm. if they don't like us, they're not coming back. Yeah. We don't Having have, a like I said, we don't have really a... screws up the incentives, doesn't it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah third party payer causes a whole bunch of problems, kind of bastardizes yeah. the whole thing really. And I think you're seeing more and more PT clinics and chiropractors move to a cash-based system, Mm -hmm. you know, where they're trying to get the insurance companies out of it because, you know, like the situation you described with your father-in-law, I mean, it's the same kind of stuff. We'll get patients that are very clearly in need of some help and, you know, some therapy, some, you know, whatever the case may be, post-surgical or somebody who, yeah, post-stroke, something like that, you know, and the insurance denies them. And, you know, we're sitting there like, it's very clear to us, this person needs therapy. But again, the the bureaucracy says, nope, not going to pay. And so they're, you know, they're on their own. Yeah, they set up gatekeepers intentionally that make it difficult yeah. for you to get care and prevent you from accessing the person that can help you directly. Like the anecdote I shared on the Will podcast where the urgent care person I saw, who was my gatekeeper to my next level of care, since I don't have a GP, had never seen my, my, uh, impingement issue in my neck before and he was referring me to PT and I said well I have seen this before and uh, it's pretty urgent as far as I can tell that needs to be resolved um, and I need I need to see a neurosurgeon and he disagreed even though he'd never seen it before yeah. and I had but he's the gatekeeper right and this is just right this is just a function of insurance companies wanting to save money so they put up intentional barriers this is not designed with how do we treat this patient as quickly and effectively as possible? Um, right. And, and the, the more time that passes and the more entrenched these bureaucracies become, the more dis- disconnected from indi- individual patient outcomes things become, and uh, the whole thing sort of devolves. So yeah. please shake the I hands really... of the owners of your PT clinic for uh, <laughs> giving a damn about the people that you're helping, because it's, it's certainly yeah. easy to get disillusioned when you're in the business and just like, you know what, screw it. It's so complicated, it's so difficult let's just toe the line, why fight against it? So to actually fight against it and to do a private pay setup and then to track outcomes, good for them because they're, they're not the norm. They're, they're going against the grain to the benefit of the people that you're caring for. Right. I really enjoy, I really like what you guys talk about in terms of looking at your, your healthcare provider as a consultant. I think that is an excellent analogy. And I have shared that with many patients. You know, I think it's important that we critically evaluate what our physicians, what our PTs, anybody you're interacting with, when it comes to your health, you know, you can't just take what they're telling you at face value. And I think the idea that we need to be more responsible for our own care and not just, again, do what we're told. I think I love that approach. And, and, you know, you guys are the only place I've ever heard that mentality come from. Hmm. And I think, you know, if more people took that approach, I think we'd be in a heck of a lot better place. Um, 
you know, there's all kinds of uh, reasons maybe why that isn't the case, but, you know, just like, you know, taking charge of your health and, you know, doing strength training and, and making yourself a, a better human being, you know, we got to kind of take that same ownership, um, you know, with our healthcare. And, you know, I really, I really think, you know, what Mark is doing by having these doctors on and talking about, you know, the, the TRT and, you know, prostate and all the things that, you know, affect a lot of the people that are, you know, listening to a show. I just think, I mean, I've sent so many of these, these podcasts and some of the, these articles to, you know, friends, patients, whoever, um, I think it's such a great thing that he's making people more, um, you know, more aware of the shortcomings in the medical community. We see so many patients that just, they just take what the doctor says at face value. And yeah. well, my doctor said this, that, that must be true. Off I go. And, you know, something that has really bothered me ever since I was in school, uh, when I was in PT school, we were sort of taught that, you know, the physician is here mm-hmm. and, you know, we are somewhere below and, you know, I really had a, a lot of anxiety in trying to interact with these guys because, you know, I was kind of drilled into my head that they're better than me. They're smarter than me. They, we do what they say and I can't challenge them. I can't think critically on my own. And that never sat well with me. And honestly, listen to a lot of what, you know, Mark has talked about and just illuminating some of the shortcomings. I'm certainly becoming a lot more sensitive to it in my own practice. And it's just, um, I, I wish more and more people would take a critical look at their physicians and especially their primary care doctors, because I think that's the only way this is ever going to change. You know, not that I, I don't know that there's a great opportunity for it to change. You know, the, the, the bureaucracy is certainly pretty well entrenched, but we've got to hold these guys to a higher standard. And, mm-hmm. and if they're not, if they're not living up to it, then we move on. We find somebody else. I started telling patients recently, I think you got to look at them like your mechanic, you know, you got to find one that you trust. There are good ones. They're not so good ones. And if you find one that you don't trust, you got to move on and find somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I just think that the, 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 I love the, the attitude of accepting that personal responsibility for, for your own healthcare and your own situation. In this current religion, the doctor is the high priest. And don't you dare yeah. question the high priest. Yeah. And yeah. not only that's is exactly that right. set up systemically, but that's also the way a lot of these people behave. And again, these are generalities. I'm not shitting at every medical professional or every, or every GP, <laughs> but you know as well as I do, there are medical professionals out there where if you question them, they will get pissed off, right? Just like the Carmen Phillips podcast we just did where uh, we referenced... Uh, a member at her gym that had osteoporosis that was resolved through strength training. And when it was mentioned to the doctor who advised against it, she changed the subject and was not interested in discussing it. Whereas a true scientist, a true medical professional who, who, who is in the business of applied science would go, oh shit, that's data. That's information that was contrary to my preconception. What do I do with that? Well, maybe I should look into it further, right? <laughs> so example yeah, that, I was just going to reference that exact story. Um, when I heard that and, and hearing her reaction, the physician's reaction to just indifference and, you know, I, that kind of stuff just, yeah, that's really sad to hear because these, this is somebody that you're going to who's supposed to be trying to help you. And here's a great solution to a problem that could probably help a lot of others. And she just writes it off. And that's just, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great illustration of what's wrong with the medical profession. I think too, I think a lot of times we're so reactive, you know, we wait, we don't do enough with prevention. We don't do enough with education. That's something I run into a lot every day. The general public is just not well, not educated well enough on, you know, 
healthy choices, healthy lifestyle prevention. We do, we do so much reactionary, uh, you know, treatment when the problem is already there. And, you know, I, I think I'd love for the education system to change in and, and include more of this. I think certainly at the collegiate level, I think this is, this is just a slam dunk. We've just got to get the public more educated. And so, cause I think a lot of times patients are so overwhelmed with what they're hearing they have no choice but to simply trust what they're being told. And, it, you know, it takes somebody who's very motivated to say, you know what, I'm going to look some of this stuff up on my own. I'm going to research on my own. I'm going to try to learn about what I'm dealing with. And I, again, I think that is unfortunately the exception. And I think a lot of it is just a lack of, of adequate education to, to, you know, prepare people to address these kinds of things. Yeah, not everybody has the capability to be their own advocate and to take matters into their own hands and do their own research. Right. You know, it's that's the sad, right. the sad part about it. So they're left to trust the system that doesn't give a damn about them. Um, right. Chris, let me ask you, what what do you think it's going to take? And and let me know if my if my um, if my premise is flawed in any way. But what what is it going to take to bring Ripito's point of view? to the PT community at large, to get it, to get it integrated into the educational <laughs> system. And, and by point of view, I don't mean your profession is bullshit. <laughs> by, by point of view, I mean um, bilateral movements that involve muscle groups as part of a system are superior to unilateral movements that utilize the musculature in a way that's not part of norm, normal daily activity. Um, yeah. that, that seems like the most obvious kind of hardest to refute point that Ripito makes. And I'm just curious what, what, a a PT unfamiliar with starting strength, how they might react to that. And also, um, if, if my premise is correct, what it would take to get that to become part of the literature, to become part of the educational process for PTs. Well, I mean, I think that's, you're exactly right. It's going to take probably research. I mean, PT has shifted in such a, in a lot of the medical profession, you know, it's so uh, evidence-based. Uh, so much of it is, is is based on research, which, you know, Ripito certainly highlighted the shortcomings in the research, but I think the only possibility there is that that's where this goes. If you start to get some real good data with real <laughs> effective barbell training and you can show improvements in, you know, strength and function and all this kind of stuff, I think that's your, probably your best avenue. Um, when I was in school, which is not all that long ago, but I graduated in, in 16, you know, everything was very focused on research. And it was, you know, if you didn't have a research article to uh, explain uh, why you're doing what you're doing, it's like, why are you doing it? And so it seems to me like the pendulum is kind of swinging back a bit from that now. Um, where we are starting to kind of rely more heavily on experience again, and we're kind of meshing the two. Um, but I think I think the inroad there is probably research. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a good answer. I don't know if that's if that's legitimate, but that seems to me to be where because you hear a lot of times too, you know, uh, the appeal to authority, right? Uh, PTs will say, well, you know, research says blah blah blah, so that's what we're going to do. And, you know, whether or not the research is any good is a different discussion. But if you could have some, you know, legitimate research to support why we're doing, you know, the barbell lifts, I think that's your inroad. That's your that's your way in, um, in my opinion. Okay. Well, let me ask you this then, because I'm not familiar with research methodologies in your domain. 
I'm familiar with research methodologies in the hard sciences, and I'm familiar with research methodologies in things like psychology. And the issue that I have with psychological studies a lot of times is uh, the question at the end is, how do you feel? You know, it's a subjective assessment from the patient. And to right. me, that, that, uh, that makes the entire outcome of the study that puts it in question because people are so fickle and there are so many things that influence the way people think and what their, their assumptions are and how they, you know, apophenia, right. Is like, um, connecting to unrelated concepts, but, but you make the connection anyways. Um, so, so I'm assuming that PT studies have a psychological aspect to them because you're asking for a subjective measure of, you know, how do you feel physically? How's your pain situation? Um, can mm -hmm. you, can you break down how, how a solid PT study works. So for example, is there a control group that doesn't get any treatment? And then a control yes. group that gets that gets the, the PT methodology so you can compare, you know, what happens, like Rip says, what happens if you just do nothing? Does the damn thing heal? Yep. Or are the corrective yep. unilateral three pound dumbbell exercises actually producing enough stress to, to facilitate accelerated healing? I'm curious uh, right. if you could educate me on, on how that all works. I mean, it's, it's set up in a very similar way to other types of research, right? You've usually got, you know, you got your control group, your experimental group, there's usually, you know, blinding, double blinding, all that kind of stuff to try to really, what you're trying to do is eliminate variables and come down to, here's the thing we're testing, was this, you know, taking everything else out of the picture, did this make any, any, you know, improvement? And you're exactly right. A lot of times it, it ends up being subjective. There are studies that look at, you know, pain rating and pain score, and that's very subjective. Um, <laughs> But my mom will tell you she's got an eight every time she goes into the doctor's office. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa mom, well, right. an eight it, is like you got your head bashed in with a crowbar. Like, let's <laughs> probably right. not an eight. And I have been very vocal with patients about, you know, I'm a big believer. We don't really have a great understanding of the experience of pain. And so, you know, one person's eight, another person's six. You know, my eight on Tuesday is different than my eight on Friday. And I, I think it's a terribly complex experience that is layered many times over. And I think it's very difficult to use that as your, you know, as your, the thing you're measuring, it's difficult. It's kind of a moving target. Um, I, I think, I think the studies that look more objectively at, you know, um, increasing something like strength, that's very black and white. Um, those are probably where you have a little bit more because again it's hard to argue that you know the the subjective the pain scores those kinds of things a little easier to argue and maybe you know poke holes in it but strength is very black and white mm. and what's really surprising to me is i think a lot of people agree with the idea that improving strength is good mm. almost every script i get from a doctor evaluate and treat you know improve strength improve range of motion the disconnect, I think, is how do you do it? How? Yeah. And yeah, how do you do it? Mm -hmm. And and I think looking at the compound lifts versus the isolation lifts, I mean, I think it's such a stark contrast. And it's, you know, what starting strength does by identifying kind of first principles, what is strength? Mm -hmm. I recently did a, a presentation to our company and I started it with exactly that. What is strength? Nice. We work on it and improve it every day. What is it? Right. And I got a lot of blank stares. Right. And I think among, you know, whether you're talking about PTs or physicians or the lay public, what is strength? They'll kind of look at you like, huh, it's one of those terms you throw around all the time, but when you have to stop and define it, I think it becomes more difficult. Mm. And so I love the way that, you know, I, and again, I think it, research articles need to start with 
a definition of strength mm. and then proceed to, we're going to try to improve it and here's what we're going to do. And then we're going to test it at the end. You know, I think, I, I think that's your, that's your inroad, uh, you know, to, to breaching that community. Um, I just shared, this is going back a couple months. I shared an article with our company. Uh, it was basically looking at shoulder strengthening to treat shoulder pain. Mm. And the conclusion was that shoulder strengthening didn't work. It didn't help. It didn't <laughs> fix the problem. And, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, from experience, I know it does work. Um, but what was really upsetting, and again, this just speaks to the, 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 you know, the ineptitude among the medical professionals, they could not show a demon. They could not demonstrate improvement in strength. They were looking at shoulder abduction strength and in their own information, their own graph, showed a horizontal line beginning of the study 16 weeks later the strength is no different mm. and the conclusion was that strengthening didn't work to improve shoulder pain even though they didn't do the strengthening they didn't strengthen anybody they Brilliant didn't make these people huh? stronger how in the world does that pass the peer review process that's a peer how review does that, paper you know exactly that's yeah, everything you need to know reviewed. that's how everything you need to know pass that allegedly rigorous process mm -hmm. and get published and, you know, I talked to, uh, I talked to another therapist and she said, yeah, you know what? I probably would have read that conclusion. Never thought twice about it. For sure. I would have just said, oh, okay, strengthening doesn't work. Never would have dug into the details and realized, well, wait a minute. You didn't actually show any improved strength. That'd How be like studying a, a medication without using the medication in the study and then coming to the conclusion <laughs> right. that the medication doesn't work. And then having your yeah. peers approve the fact that that medication doesn't work. Yes. And, yeah, and, and it's funny because th we, this is why long form is so important, man, because if I'm having an elevator conversation with somebody and I, and I state something like, you know, not all research papers are high quality. You can't trust the science in all cases. I'm right, a conspiracy exactly theorist. Right. It's like, no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Look at the paper yourself. These are fools yep. that have created these studies and they make no sense. And these people have no idea what they're talking about, but they jerk each mm -hmm. other off in their medical you know, their medical community circle jerk of researchers and publishers and um, this system that exists that is most certainly not aligned to how do you produce the highest quality science and how do you publish that for other people's to, people to benefit from. That is not the situation. That whole system's become a bureaucracy too and it's falling yep. victim yep. to all the standard stuff that a bureaucracy falls victim to, which is yep. instead of pursuing the thing that it set out to do initially, it then starts pursuing its own survival, its own um, its own advancement of, of the bureaucracy itself. So its goals completely shift because the people change and then time passes and the that's just the way the, the system works naturally. And there's no way around that unless you actively work against the forces of entropy, which funnily enough, is an interesting metaphor to what we do here at Starting Strength, both psychologically yeah. and physically. That's kind of what we're all about. Right, right. I, you guys are really, I mean, I, you know, school is, is all about, you know, they, they talk to us about being able to analyze the research and read through it and understand it and be able to pick out the good studies from the bad studies. But I don't really know that it ever took hold when I was in school necessarily. But since then, and certainly since, you know, becoming familiar with Starting Strength, I have really you know, I think improve my ability to look at, you know, when, when a study says, you know, we took, you know, 60 well-trained males and I look at, you know, their starting bench press weight is 115 or something. I'm thinking to myself, well, these obviously aren't well-trained males, you know, so looking at, looking at some of those things that I think the average observer is going to, even the average, you know, physical therapist or e physician is going to skim right over and assume, mm -hmm. oh, well-trained. Okay. They know what they're talking about. That must be legitimate. They're, they're not going to get into those details and understand them, you know, to the extent they should, which is any, any male with 150 pounds 
pound bench press, you know, under the age of 40 is not well trained. <laughs> well, my, my impression of the way this works as an outsider is as follows. Medical professional is taught, trained like a puppy, trained. This is the way things are. <laughs> this is the way things are, right? And then that medical professional goes and repeats those things ad nauseum. Um, some medical professionals might go, you know what? Um, the implications of me making this claim are high. So therefore, I'm going to go check and make sure the study actually reinforces the narrative that I'm spewing. And then some of these people might go back and look at the study and go, oh, okay, um, it's in a, a well-respected publication. It's in a trustworthy, from a trustworthy institution, and it's been peer-reviewed. All right, cool. Analysis, summary, conclusion. Okay, yeah, this, this concludes what I thought it did. Peer-reviewed study, gold standard. I can continue yep. saying what I want to say or what, what I've been told to say, and I can feel confident about it. And then yep. I think a There's... very small percentage of people, a very small percentage of people go, all right, it's peer-reviewed, but just in case, I'm a peer also. I'm going to review this myself, <laughs> right? I've right. got, exactly I've got right. lots of anecdotal clinical experience, with Ripito, which Ripito very intelligently calls the phenomenology. The things mm -hmm. you see in person day after day after day it's yep. not anecdotal data. It's the phenomena, phenomenology. Uh, uh, it's a, yeah. a, a culmination of anecdotes is worth paying attention to. That is data. Um, so if, if the, the things that you're seeing in your clinical practice don't match what's being claimed in the peer-reviewed study, well, then it's maybe worth looking very closely at that study to determine if it was designed properly. And just like you've outlined, oftentimes they are not designed properly. And you can tell how much these people, I mean, they're almost like journalists talking about things they don't know anything about, referring to well-trained people that bench 115. <clears throat> what the hell does well-trained mean? Be a scientist here. Definitions are important. This is all very, very frustrating. Um, yep. But I, I don't want the whole podcast to be, to be me bitching about uh, the medical profession. I, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, uh, about the gyms too. So um, yeah, heck yeah. I'm, I'm curious, what, what have you learned from starting strength that you use in your practice? And then I have, I'm curious about the, the inverse as well when, when you're done answering that. So, so what, what have you learned from your experience in the gym, the theoretical stuff you've learned from Ripito um, that, that helps you in your day-to-day -day PT practice? Uh, it's, it's almost embarrassing to say, but this simple stress recovery adaptation uh, cycle is just like, that's a home run with everything I do almost every single day. And I can't remember where I heard it, but the idea that, you know, stress is the language of the body and we are trying to change people every day. I, I was talking to a patient this morning about, you know, I'm trying to change you into somebody different than when you started with me. And the only way I'm going to do that is through stress and correctly applied stress is going to drive that change. And so that simple, you know, concept, has just been such a game changer for me. I hate that phrase game changer, but it's been such a big deal for me because it, it makes so much sense. And the thing that I stop and think about, you know, not to rag too much more in the medical community, but you know, why didn't, <laughs> why wasn't I exposed to that in school? Why didn't somebody tell me that in school? Why um, does a power lifter from North Texas have to be the guy that <laughs> makes this obvious right. to me? Cause I paid a lot of money for that PhD, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And so that concept has been so valuable. Um, and again, I think in terms of trying to, uh, you know, formulate a plan to help somebody, 
that concept has just been, like I said, that's been a home run. And that really, I think is kind of like my North star mm. in terms of trying to drive my decision-making in, you know, what I'm going to do with somebody on, on a given day. Um, and just like, understanding that concept has helped me personally and, you know, my own training, um, you know, uh, helping others with their training and, uh, with our patient population, again, a lot of times you may very deconditioned, maybe injured, maybe post-surgical, it still applies. Mm -hmm. And that's where, like I said, I think this is such a universal concept that is relevant in every situation with every patient I see. It's like, why didn't I get exposed to this sooner? Mm -hmm. um, that's like I said, that's for me been the most obvious thing that I have taken and, and used almost without fail on a daily basis. It does provide a significant amount of clarity, doesn't it? And, uh, that's exactly right. That's right. exactly right. So when right. you're thinking about, you know, what the hell am I trying to do here? It's like, well, I'm trying yeah. to provide a stress, a productive stress that's going to cause exactly. an adaptation. Um, and not too much stress because I don't want to hurt the person or make things worse, but enough stress exactly. to facilitate progress. So what if, what if your entire profession changed in terms of its goal? What if, what if the goal of all physical therapists was primarily how do we make people stronger? Is, is that is that too simplistic of a view or or because uh, in my inexperienced mind i have no you know pl uh, practical or clinical experience in your domain of course no theoretical understanding no education really in, in pt um if things were whittled down to that simple of a conclusion would that would that improve things or hurt things in your mind like okay pts your job now is make your patients stronger prehab and rehab yeah i think you're going to probably address a vast majority of issues. Mm. And I think that's the thing that RIP and starting strength have really opened my eyes to is how often strength is the problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, his his talk and his, his, you know, ideas about balance, and I guess it's not really an idea, but you know, the idea that balance is, is very much affected by strength and strength affects your balance and a lack of strength will lead to poor balance. That has been a, you know, a big eye opener for me too, because again, I, I look at patients that have poor balance without fail, they are weak. Mm -hmm. There's never somebody strong. Now you may have a specific vestibular condition or a neurological condition that may be a little outside the lines, but for the vast majority, it's a lack of strength. Right. Um, you know, I, I think you could probably dumb it down and, and whittle the profession down to that and do an awful lot of good. Um, and you know, it, 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 it's up, up for debate, I guess, how much good, how much more good could you do than we're doing right now. Mm. But that's where I feel like this has been such, brings such value because a lot of times this may be where I want them to go. I may want them to squat and deadlift and start working on building strength with the barbell, but I know I'm not going to get them to do that on day one. Mm. I know I'm going to say, let's, let's get you under the bar and squat and they're going to run out of the clinic. Right. Mm. So some of the other things that we use and some of the modalities and some of the, you know, the feel good stuff, um, is like a bridge to get them ultimately to do the things I know that they really need to do. And, you know, the thing I think bigger, even bigger picture than just working on strength is looking at a more permanent solution to people's problems mm. far too often. And this is really my opinion of, again, <laughs> the medical profession, we address symptoms. Oh, yeah. you know, somebody comes to you with pain we want to fix the pain. Here's a pill, pain goes away. Here's a shot, pain goes away. Patient walks out, thinks they're fixed. We know that it's gonna the problem's gonna come right back when the pill wears off, when the shot wears off. And we those pills create anything. additional problems. Sometimes worse right, exactly. than the problem you're solving in the first place. 
now you've got side effects to deal with. Yeah. So, you know, that has always been my approach. I, I tell patients all the time, I want to help you here. And then I want to give you, uh, you know, uh, some tools to help yourself when you're done mm. so that you don't have to come back to me anymore because you've fixed the problem for good. Mm. And I think almost invariably that solution involves getting significantly stronger. Let's take my father-in-law. There's a PT clinic I went to down the street, standard PT clinic after my neck surgery. I went twice, tried to have an open mind. And as mentioned on the Will podcast, after they had me do some submaximal banded bullshit to uh, you know increase the strength of my shoulder, I was like, you know what, Will, I'm, I'm just gonna spend extra money and get the proper care. It's a bummer that I spend all this money on insurance and I don't get to use my insurance when I actually need it. But what I care about is not getting my money's worth. What I care about is getting better. So let's right. take my father-in-law, Bill. Scenario A, I put him in PT for three months. Guy, like I said, takes about three seconds with a walker per step, right? Scenario two, get the guy at a starting strength gym, get him on testosterone, put him in a, put him in a caloric surplus. Three months later, what's the PT outcome going to be versus the starting strength plus testosterone plus food outcome? I mean, right. I right. know I can change this guy's life. I mean, I know, yep. I know I can get him back. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know. Right. But, but everything that I've seen makes me very confident. I'd place a very big bet. And it's obviously a big bet when you intervene in a family member's health. Um, sure. but you know, he trusts the medical establishment, so he's going to do what the doctor tells him. And there's not a doctor on earth that I'm aware of <laughs> that's going to prescribe barbell steaks and testosterone, you know? Um, so what, what am I, am I, uh, Am I a knuckle dragging, um, you know, non non medical professional that's confused about this, or am I making a, a rational point here? No, I mean I think it's an excellent point, and I mean that's again that's why I am affiliated with starting strength. That's why I am doing this stuff in the gym. I put, uh, you know, a squat rack in a bar in this clinic that I work in, you know, with my own money. Um, I I use this stuff in another clinic that I work in and I got the company to pay for a rack there. Um, but you know, I think, I think you're exactly right. I think this has such value for almost every situation. Um, and you know, again, back to the stress recovery adaptation, I talk to patients a lot that are maybe suffering from some kind of overuse injury. And, you know, you talk about, you know, we still have to apply stress. We still want to drive change. We just have to change the stress. We have to reduce the stress, but the, the, process and the concept is the same. It's got to start low and we got to build it up from there. And, you know, uh, that, that alone, I think would do an awful lot of people some good. Yeah. And, you know, I will say that th there's a, um, a fair number of therapists I've worked with that are somewhat receptive to it, but I, I would say probably not as receptive as they need to be, mm -hmm. because I really think there needs to be a gigantic shift in our approach and, you know, the isolation work and the band work and the submaximal, you know, kinds of stuff just needs to go away. Yep. Um, you know, Will certainly will alluded to this in, in the podcast you guys just did, you know, you got to keep the doors open. Yep. And you are very often going to get people that want nothing to do with the barbell. They mm. don't want to do anything hard. They don't want to, they don't want to, you know, have to uh, work to, to fix their situation. Yep. They just want you to make it all go away and they want to lay on the table. Um, and so that is certainly something that I try to fight. I, I, I know that's not going to work for them. Mm. Um, and that's only going to perpetuate this notion that they are not in charge of their situation. They don't have the tools to fix it. They do. And so my job is to try to, convince them and show them here there's a there is a way you can be better you can be in the driver's seat with this stuff and yep. you know it doesn't have to be you depending on somebody else to fix you 
yeah, there are some people that can't be helped because they don't want to help themselves. And a lot of people with yeah. that mindset that are willing to outsource their healthcare, um, that are willing to, to not provide the body with the stresses that it needs day to day to remain healthy. These are also the people that sometimes are in your office because of lifestyle choices. And That's the exactly people right. that are in your office because of lifestyle choices, um, when informed that if they change their sedentary behavior and do something difficult, it'll improve their quality of life. Some are not interested. And um, yep. I have to say, I don't care about those people. Um, I, I, I care I care about everyone from a from a humanitarian perspective. Like I, I you know, it would be wonderful if everyone had a, a lovely experience on earth with minimal suffering. Um, but I have to focus my care on people that uh, that care about themselves as well, right? You can't you can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped. You can't care about someone more than they care about themselves. So in that sense, I don't care about people that are unwilling to help themselves because this business is set up for people that take personal responsibility, that are willing and able to do hard things, that are willing to throw you know all their anxieties and concerns um, aside their fears aside and listen to the person in front of them on the platform and trust that that person is going to help them become a better version of themselves. And I love those people and they get me fired up and I'm happy to help them. <laughs> but yeah, you've, you've got a tough job because um, starting strength pre-selects for those types of people, but you're your right. office That's is exactly not. Right. So you're, you're exactly dealing with right. the general public. You're dealing with everybody, which, which must be tough. My mom asked me a long time ago when I started, she's like, well, what's your favorite kind of patient? You know, like neck patient, a knee patient, hip patient. And my answer to her was, I like a motivated one. Mm. And you're exactly right. Starting strength pre-selects for those people. And that's why it's such a joy to work in the gym. Um, you've got people that are terribly motivated and, you know, have taken this, you know, difficult step. But you know, we get a lot of people that are relatively new to barbells or have never touched a barbell. And, you know, they're taking a pretty big step for them. And, you know, it's just really, it's, it's really rewarding to work with those people and get them started on something that, you know, is going to change their life for the better. And, um, you know, it's unfortunately, uh, you know, we just don't get to see that enough in our clinics. I do especially love the stories of people that are convinced that they're not going to like it and they're not going to continue. And then they see <laughs> such an immediate change in their quality of life. Like the Berkowitzes, Dave and Pam Berkowitz did a little case study video that Paul Horn yeah. put together on the YouTube channel. And he's, just a charming guy. And he's just like, yeah, you know, I figured I'd go in for three weeks and then go back and sit back on the couch. And then yep, uh, sure yep. enough, after he, a had, shot. he had five uh, vertebrae fused in his cervical spine and uh, he was itching to get back to training. He wanted to get back to training quicker than his doctor would allow him to. And now he's under the care of Will Morris. And um, these people get me fired up, man. Um, so let, <laughs> let me let me ask you uh, the, the inverse of the first question. So what because the PT education is vast. I mean, you learn a hell of a lot about uh, anatomy and physiology. Um, what what from your PT educational experience or clinical experience um, is helpful to you and in what way when you're an apprentice coach at a starting strength gym? You know, I think that question is a little bit harder to answer. I think really it's just about the the interpersonal skills working with somebody and trying to get them to do things that maybe aren't terribly comfortable. Um, you know, even before starting strength, you know, I recognize the need for, um, you know, stressful exercises in the clinic. And so working with people and trying to get them to do things that they really maybe otherwise don't want to do. Mm. Um, I think just being, you know, being supportive and encouraging, but yet still sticking to what, you know, needs to get done. 
um, I think is probably the biggest thing. Um, again, I, I don't feel like there's been quite the obvious connection going that direction. Um, you know, I guess certainly, you know, people have various injuries. And so being able to talk, and I think certainly through my, um, you know, the online prep course and going through, you know, being getting educated to be a starting strength coach, the background in all the anatomy and the way the body works and the mechanics and those kinds of things. I mean, that has been a huge help. I was just telling Adam this morning, you know, if I had to learn all that from scratch, this would have been a much more difficult journey. Um, so being able to discuss those things freely and easily. And, you know, I think probably the biggest thing um, is, I'm afforded a certain level of credibility simply because I'm a PT, mm. you know, I'm in the gym and, and that may not really mean anything in reality, but with that title patients, you know, or, you know, members in the gym are like, Oh, you know, they want to ask things and that, you know, they want to, my, my opinion seems to mean my, you know, my, my recommendation, whatever seems to mean more. Mm. Um, and again, I, I get that whether it's, you know, um, I should or not. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, I think, I think just it, it's, working in, with a patient in that one-on-one -on -one setting and helping them kind of work towards a common goal, mm. you know, in the clinic, it's pain relief, increased function, balance, gait, whatever, you know, uh, in the gyms, it's, um, you know, increased strength. I think that's probably the biggest understanding that relationship and being very comfortable with that relationship, I think is probably the biggest thing. Yeah. That's about what I expected. That's, that's interesting. So a point I wanted to make Chris was, was, uh, piggybacking off your earlier point, which is don't treat a medical professional like a high priest, right? Like don't just say your word is gospel and I will follow it and uh, end of story. Really good advice. I just wanna point out that the same thing must apply to your coach if you're a member at a starting strength gym or you're an online client of a starting strength gym um, or if Ripito makes a claim or if I make a claim. They're, they're, the appeal to authority logical fallacy applies to everybody. And all humans are imperfect and we all have false ideas in our minds and we all say, state things incorrectly. Um, some with higher degrees of uh, probability than others. But the point is, you know, for those of you that are in our gyms, you probably already know this cause you're that type of a thinker and that type of a person, but challenge and question everything your apprentice coach or your coach tells you, even if it's Chris and he's a doctor of physical therapy, challenge and question and do your own research and get multiple opinions because we are also consultants. We are your strength mm -hmm. consultants. We do not know everything. Um, some of the coaches in the system, I'm sure some have gotten through that aren't, that aren't great. Uh, we have a kick-ass staff of coaches on average and are better than any franchise on the planet. I can, I can make a big bet on that, but um, it's impossible to bat a thousand, right? So I just wanted to point out that uh, we attempt to practice what we preach and um, by, by no means are we suggesting that we have all the answers and we, we know everything. So with that in mind, Chris, is there, is there anything in your education, um, starting strength-wise, that, uh, that has made you question something that's been claimed? Is there, is there one of RIP's positions or one of the, the, the broader starting strength positions that you view as probably in need of some updating or not, not verifiably correct? You know, I'm, I'm a, a skeptic by nature, and that is a, a big reason why I've, I'm such a fan of the books and the gyms and the brand, because I can't find any holes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I am, I was that way kind of all through, you know, through school and just in life in general, I like to understand the why. Um, and 
you know, I, I was just telling a, a client in the gym this morning that there is a reason for everything we do. And, you know, I pride myself on being able to articulate that reason. And I, I don't want somebody to come to me and ask a question and, and not have a good answer for them. Um, you know, I, because I think it, you know, we start to lose some degree of credibility mm. when that, that happens. So uh, I, I wish I could, I wish I could come up with something, but uh, you know, I have listened to many, many, many of the podcasts. I've read the books. I've read just about every article. I think that Rip's got on the website and many others. And, you know, I, 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 I don't have anything, you know, nothing jumps out to me that I had a question about or that I thought, hmm, that doesn't really make sense. Mm. Because and that's just, I mean, it's a pillar of what starting strength is. Everything is vetted. Everything is thoroughly, you know, tried and tested. And, you know, the the, the phenomenology has been proven and shown. And, you know, I certainly, I, I don't think that they're, you know, I certainly don't think Rip, they talked about, you know, they made some adjustments in how they coached power clean not all that long ago. So, mm. you know, I still think that they put their own method under the microscope, but man, I, Gosh, I can't find anything that I'd argue with. Yeah. One of our values is iteration and things are constantly evolving. But uh, a lot of the things that have been discovered and articulated are um, sort of enshrined in our version of the literature, which is all up for debate. I mean, if anyone mm -hmm. watching this has uh, takes issue with um, with one of the positions that we have. Uh, when it, when it comes to starting strength, like not, not my opinions on things, right. But like the actual starting <laughs> strength methodology, um, write an article, we'll pay you for it. And, uh, if it's a good article, I'll have you on the podcast. And if you make a point that we hadn't thought of or an argument that, um, that hadn't been made before, then our thinking is always up for debate and always up for update because that's the way science, real science, non-bureaucratically, um, toxified science actually is supposed to function. So I encourage anyone watching that to uh, challenge any of our ideas. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just speaking to clients specifically, yeah, if there's something you don't understand or something you're not sure about, ask, you know, I, I tell my patients, I tell the lifters, you know, if, if you've got a question, you know, ask me, you should understand why we're doing what we're doing um, across the board. And if there's something you're not sure about, ask me because that, you know, I need to be able to articulate why we're doing what we're doing. Mm. And, you know, I think that helps build trust in your coach and your therapist and whoever you're working with, you know, you get somebody and that's where, again, I'm kind of the natural skeptic. If you start, you know, kind of getting off into weeds a little bit and I'm hearing a little bit of smoke and mirrors and stuff that I don't really, you know, I, I can't, I can't connect the dots, you know, then I'm probably going to maybe go elsewhere for whatever service I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your, your bullshit detector will, uh, will perk up <laughs> like this guy. My meter is strong. Like this guy that was standing on the platform next to me at crunch fitness a couple of months back who was paying for a personal trainer. And this guy was teaching him how to squat. And this weak motherfucker has hardly squatted himself and most certainly doesn't know how to teach the squat. And I'm squatting next to them both. And his client keeps looking over at me and then starts asking me questions. <laughs> that doesn't say a lot of good things about you and your capability. And how can you be happy with that, man? You can't be happy with that. Like you call yourself yep. a trainer. Yep. This is what you do for a living. This is your profession. And not only yep. do you not do it yourself, but you don't know how to, I mean, of course, obviously you can't teach it to other people. So it's, right. um, we need more people like you and fewer people like that. Um, <laughs> let, let me ask you a couple of self-serving questions that might, that might backfire, which I'm perfectly prepared for. Um, <laughs> but wh which of your jobs do you think has a higher net impact on actually helping people? Your role at the starting strength gym or your role in the PT clinic? It's probably hard because the PT clinic, I interact with a lot of people. And I mean, I've basically brought a lot of the starting strength method to the clinic. Nice. Hell yeah. Um, so I think, I, I think I'd probably have to say the clinic 
only because again, the volume now I can't implement it across the board because there are some patients that it's just not appropriate for, but uh, even those patients, I'm still using something. Again, we talk a lot about the sit to stand, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a squat, um, you know, and the, the nature of progressive overload. I mean, that's another big thing that just kind of gets glossed over in school and mm -hmm. looking back, you know, I wish I could go back to some of my you know, therapeutic exercise classes and ask some questions that need to be asked. Um, so, you know, I'm, excuse I'm me, applying. you're missing the most important point. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, how, how do we make this? How do we progress this? How do we add, add load to this? So, you know, I, I feel like I implement a lot of the methodology, both again, with the stress recovery adaptation, progressive overload, the lifts themselves, uh, the movement patterns, um, you know, I think in terms of people reaching a much higher ceiling, well, no question that's within the gyms. You know, mm. I, I've been able, I've been fortunate enough, you know, I've been working with my dad over the last year, you know, my mom over like the last six weeks or so, nice. you know, and so my dad has made mountains of progress and that, that is the starting strength method and the use of the barbell has taken him much farther than anything else I could have done from my PT world. And it's going to um, keep him out of your office more than likely. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the quality of life yeah. improvements and, and just the overall health. I mean, there's just nothing within the PT realm that has that high of a ceiling. Mm. Um, you know, and so I think volume is in the clinic. I think, you know, maybe quality, higher ceilings, certainly in the gyms. Mm, got it. What are your dad's numbers, by the way? Where did he start and where is he at now? And <laughs> so, what's his age and, and all that other stuff? So he's 70, he'll be 72 in November. Mm. He's, despite my best efforts, he's 160 pounds, <laughs> maybe 161 sometimes. I've been beating him over the head, trying to get him to eat more. And he just, he tells me he is and the scale says he's not. <laughs> um, he started with me almost exactly a year ago. Uh, and he was coming off of a pretty serious shoulder surgery on his right shoulder. Um, so we started, gosh, like squatting a 20 pound medicine ball because he couldn't even get the bar on his back. Mm -hmm. um, and now tomorrow he's supposed to squat, you know, 180 for a triple. Hell yeah. Um, He's, uh, you know, he weighs 160 pounds. So he's not a very large person. If he gains some um, weight, you know, so he'd be he's, much, much stronger. But 180 is pretty I, impressive nonetheless. I've told him more times than I can count. Yeah. Um, funny story too. So I, I bought him the barbell prescription back, you know, again, around a year or so ago. I think maybe when he was still in his sling and recovering, I said, start reading this because once you're ready, you know, we're going to start you know, doing this stuff. And he's looking at the guy on the cover and he's like, this guy on the front, he's got a gut. I don't want to be fat. I don't want to gut. And I said, listen, when you can deadlift 225 and you can talk about this guy. And so uh, we are literally his next deadlift workout, I think, which will be Sunday. He's supposed to pull two and a quarter for a triple. Hell yeah. So Good for he, him, man. He did two, 222 and a half last weekend. So, and you know, it's everything that we talk about, everything that's in the books, everything with the programming. I mean, I've watched it played out for him. I watched it play out for him over the last year. And right. it's just it's really cool that he's been that consistent because I've been able to kind of, you know, make the modifications and transition him out of the basic novice program. And, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see it, like I said, actually happen and see somebody over that long of a time frame. because a lot of times my patients in the clinic, it might be six weeks or, you know, eight weeks maybe, and you just don't get to see that level of progress. And so for him, it's been really cool. You just ran your own little experiment, right? Exactly right. That's all right. Case study. Maybe uh, your dad will watch this episode, and I'll uh, convey a message that Ripito sends that I think is important to people that are old and think frailty um, is a benefit somehow. So um, making your your muscles 
bigger and stronger and making your bones denser is obviously good. You need the substrate to actually fuel that process. Otherwise, you're going to hit an artificial ceiling, firstly. And then secondly, what the hell happens if you get pneumonia from a COVID infection, for example? Now, granted, yep. the current variants yep. aren't, aren't really causing many hospitalizations and things, but whatever, just as an example, cancer, something nasty, right? Where you've got to lose uh, the, the process of recovering from that means that you've lost 40 pounds of body weight. Do you have 40 pounds to lose? You know, is, is, uh, are you, are you trying to demonstrate that your ribs are visible with your shirt off when you're at the beach or are you a fully grown mature <laughs> adult that has, that has aspirations beyond that aspirations that have yeah. to do with your functionality and your ability to withstand stress and your ability to withstand whatever life happens to throw at you, including serious illness. So for God's sakes, man, go have a ribeye, you know, um, <laughs> eat some more calories. Don't. I, I just want you gaining a pound a week, right? I don't want yep. you gaining four pounds a week. Just gain a pound a week. Gain a pound a week for a month, and you let me know if you're happier or less happy. And if you're less yep. happy, stop gaining weight or lose the weight. But if you're happier, and I know you will be, I'll bet you money that you will be, keep gaining <laughs> about a pound a week. And what is his height? Oh, he's like five six. Five six. So, you know, 180, um, 175, just like... I've had all these conversations. I've said it all. You know, what's really cool too. So he, I grew up as a runner. Like I started life. I was a runner. I ran for a number of years, probably a good 20 years. till I was about 32. Mm. And so he did a lot of running too. He's the one that got me started in it. And he's done a lot of running himself. And he used to talk about when he would stop running, he would gain weight immediately. Mm. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd be down to a weight that he was happy with and he stopped running and then he, he would just gain weight, you know, just, you know, a couple days later he's up and it was so easy to gain weight. And now that he's been training, he's trying to gain weight and it's just not happening. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about the addition of the muscle mass and how his, you know, his base met metabolic rate is so much higher. And so he's not able to just pack on pounds, you know, accidentally anymore. Not unless he it's actually really tries. Cool. It has to be a concerted ex effort. Exactly. Yeah. He's yeah. going to have to put in some effort. Yeah. And uh, man, I'm really happy to hear that, that your mom was inspired by Ina's interview. And uh, I want to hear what's going on with her too. So she's 67, right? What's, uh, where did she start and where is she at now after only a few weeks? So, um, we were squatting, gosh, um, I had her squatting to like a 20 inch box to start. Mm. So she's, you know, she's got RA and she's got some, she's had a long history of back pain, never had surgery, non-medical non types. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so she's got some, some issues. Um, she's, she's had a, she had a pretty serious disc herniation. She's got some, you know, some weakness in her left leg and her knee bothers her. Um, so we had to, we had to really start pretty conservative, but you know, honestly for her, the biggest thing was starting you know, just getting down there and being open to doing it was, was a huge hurdle. Mm. And, you know, I've talked to her many, many times about starting something like that. So she deserves a lot of credit just for coming down there and getting started mm. and being down there. So it's a family affair there, right? We got, my dad is down there training. My brother's down there training. I'm training. Um, so, you know, for her to come down in that high testosterone environment, it was, it was a big hurdle for her. So anyway, so we, we were, we were squatting like a 20 inch box, you know, sets of five, and then I've got a 20 pound vest, you know, so we just, we just did body weight to that box for probably the first handful of workouts. Fantastic. And I think, I think that I moved her down a little lower. I don't think we're quite to depth yet, but now we're down to like 16 and a half inches. Mm -hmm. She's wearing the full 20 pound vest 
and she's doing, you know, two or three sets of five, Fantastic. um, you know, her rack, her rack pull. So we're rack pulling. She's only, she's only a little bit above where she will be for a, a legitimate deadlift, but, you know, started with the bar. Mm. Um, no, didn't think she could possibly lift 35 pounds and now she's up to 70. So she's doubled it for a set of five, Hell yeah, you man. know? And so she moves well. And I've told her many times she moves really well. She's very safe. It's just, she just got to keep showing up. Mm. And when she started this whole thing, I told her, you just got to give me six months, mm. give me six months, show up twice a week. And you're going to, you'll know long before six months, if you want to keep doing this or not. Um, you know, her, her bench press, you know, started at eight pounds. I think now she's at like 32, you awesome. know, press similar started eight pounds. She's at 20 Her press is like 23, I think, you know, so, so she was significantly detrained. Yes. Very, very deconditioned, never done anything like this before. Um, and so it's been really good for me to see, you know, okay, five pounds, isn't going to work for her for all these lifts. I have mm. to adjust, you know, the, the basic framework of the model is still there and still relevant, mm. but I've got to adjust that five pound number. And so it's been really good for me to see her make that progress and, and understand, Hey, a two and a half pound jump is okay. A one pound jump, even on her third workout is okay. And my goal is to keep her down there and keep her moving in the right direction. I shared the podcast with Carmen and with that woman, I can't, I can't remember, Julia, her name, the woman had Julia. osteoporosis. Was Julia, yeah. yeah. I shared, I shared that podcast with her and I, you know, I talked about making those very, very modest increases doesn't matter that they're small. It just matters that we keep making them. So, you know, that I send her a lot. I sent her this the interview with Sylvia, um, you know, from just a couple of weeks ago, you know, that, that kind of stuff I think is really good for her to see that, Hey, there are other people out there just like you going through the exact same stuff. That's been, that's been a big motivator for her. Fantastic, man. Um, I know you're a busy guy. You uh, you're doing two jobs at the same time. I'm wondering if you've <laughs> had time to reflect because you've got a pregnant wife, you've got a daughter on the way, just like me. And, um, you are in a situation now where your own mother, whom, you know, developed you in her womb for nine months and then raised you and is the reason <laughs> why you're here today talking to me, um, you've just been able to repay her in a way that, that neither of you may able, be able to fully quantify or comprehend. I mean, with the numbers that she's moving, um, and her lack of strength, she might be, she might have been a couple of months or a couple of years away from a walker or a fall from lack of balance and a serious injury like sure. a broken hip. And she's only 67. She might have, she might be able to be at your daughter's high school graduation, you know? Um, right. and, uh, and this thing, if she sticks with it, might be the difference between her being there as a fully functional, normal human being right. versus a diminished, slightly crippled version of herself. I'm just wondering if you had any time to reflect on that and if you, if you want to share any feelings about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. I've thought a lot about, you know, what that potentially provides for her for the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years, you know, and certainly, with, you know, I mean, she's been looking for a grandchild for a long time, you know, so we finally, you know, she's got one on the way. And, you know, and honestly, I'm sure that played a big role in her, you know, taking the plunge and starting to train. But, you know, I think to your point, there's, really nothing I'll ever be able to do to repay her for giving me life and, you know, me sitting here and raising me and all the sacrifices that, you know, they may have made for me along the way, you know, but I think giving them improved quality of life through the strength training and just the time together, mm. you know, I feel like it's about as close to repayment as anything else I could do. Beautiful, man. Well, you're doing great work and it's, uh, it's really, it's great. It's great that uh, someone of your caliber and educational background 
um, first of all, is humble enough to sign up as an apprentice. It just shows that you're, you're a lifelong learner and a true student and you don't let your ego dictate your decisions. Um, and then secondly, that this, this whole system that we built is so attractive to you that you're willing to make the time and financial investment to, uh, to get another credential and to, um, to expand right. your skill set. So man, thanks for, thanks for being involved in this system. Um, we're definitely going to do more PT related stuff like I've talked about with Will. So I'll keep you in the loop as, as that progresses. And, uh, that'd be great. I hope you kick massive amounts of ass at the seminar, <laughs> um, next month, August, right. Is when you're testing out. Yeah. It's coming up. Yep. Cool. cool. So, um, yeah, listen to this podcast when it comes out and let me know if there's anything else you want to go into more detail on. Uh, when we do another episode, we can talk about your career prospects in our system versus as a PT, what your plan is if you plan on balancing both. Uh, there's lots of stuff we could talk about. Um, but if anything else comes to mind or if anyone else watching this has has comments, just let us know below. And uh, we can always do round two because this was a really enjoyable conversation and an hour plus went by just like that. So, so thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate it. All right, Chris. Talk soon. Yep. Take See care. You.